Lord, we hear the good news of this song that you reign above it all. The good news of that message is that if you reign above it all, that means you're above depression. That means you're above cancer. That means you are above COVID. That means you're above addiction. That means you're above death. You reign above it all. So we receive this uh, good news that there is a good king that we can give our hearts and lives to who reigns above it all. So now, would you apply that to our hearts, Lord, as we listen to your word, as we hear what you have to say to us? Give us the courage, Lord, to uh, let your spirit do the work that you need to do in each of us today. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. I invite you to remain standing as we read the scriptures together. We're in a series called Questions About God, and we're going to listen to a passage from the lips of Jesus in Matthew chapter 23. You may have never heard a message preached on this passage, and uh, it's a bit sharp, and um, I, I know that you can hear the words of Jesus and what they mean for you. So let's look at it. Matthew chapter 23. I'll read aloud. It'll be on the screen. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, so he's talking to you and to me, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. Verse 13. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. The title of the message today is How Churches, parenthetical, sometimes, unparenthetical, create children of hell. Now, uh, we're going to talk about this, this subject uh, for the, this week and next, and um, this is, if you were here on Easter and you took the poll that we, we threw out to you and said, hey, of, of this list of things, what are the problems that you see that keep people from faith in God? And far and away, twice any other response on that poll, you said that this is the issue that keeps people away. And so I think it's worth us pausing and hearing uh, what Jesus has to say about this subject and letting it sink into uh, our hearts. And so we'll talk about it a little bit more next week as well. So this, I know it's a, I understand it's a provocative kind of title, and I mean it to be because Jesus is trying to provoke us here. Um, now, 
I, I got to tell you, I have a, I have a really unusual job. I, I love my job as a pastor. I love the fact that that's my life's work, and I really, really enjoy it, and I really see it as a calling. And, but I, I got to be honest with you, when I meet people, and you know how it is when you meet somebody, and uh, when you're trying to get to know somebody, you just ask questions that you, you know, and one of our go-to questions as a culture is, what do you do? <laughs> And uh, whenever people ask me what I do, I've got to tell you, I try to avoid that question. I've kind of learned some um, verbal gymnastics to be able to get around getting to that question. When I see it coming, I'm like, oh, dodge. And and, uh, when people finally do corner me and they say, what is it that, so what is it that you do? Um, I've got to be really honest with you. I want to lie. I don't, but I want to. And um, because the reason is, and if anybody has ever been a pastor or served in that role, you understand what I'm talking about. As soon as you say, I'm a pastor, uh, you get a multitude of reactions. And so I've gotten the reactions. This, this is the usual reaction. They'll say, oh, I'm so sorry for what I just said. I, it just <laughs> slipped out. I didn't mean it. I'm really sorry. I don't normally talk like that. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, or, or I will get, or I'll, I'll know immediately if this person is a follower of Jesus because they'll get kind of hyper, like, oh my gosh, you're a pastor, and they'll tell me about their church. And, or I'll get the shutdown. I mean, it'll just shut the conversation right down. They'll just stop talking to me. And I've gotten to the point now where I say, now listen, I'll tell you what I do, but you have to promise that you'll still keep talking to me. And, um, or, or I will get these just absolutely ridiculous responses. I got one person that just, I could see the blank come over their face. They were like, they had no idea how to respond. And so they said, congratulations. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what I did, but okay. Uh, it, it's, here's, here's what I've discovered. The reason it's such a, such a dividing thing for me to tell people what I do is that religion is a separator. And uh, the people who lead it, I think this is the subconscious thing that goes through people's heads. Well, if religion separates people, you know, you don't talk about religion and politics and polite company, then I must be talking to one of the people who is one of the separators. And so people shut down. Now, if you know the, the, the root of that word religion, uh, it's a Latin word, and it means to, uh, it's where we get our word ligament, it means to reconnect or it can mean to, uh, to bind something together or to tie something together. And people are often surprised, uh, especially when you read passages like this in Matthew chapter 23, and Jesus says some similar kinds of things in Matthew chapter 6. People are often surprised when they find out that Jesus wasn't actually in favor of religion as it was practiced in his day and is often practiced in our day. And so I often will tell people, I'll say, listen, I, I, I know it sounds a little weird, but I'm not very religious. Um, Jesus didn't teach and suffer and die an innocent, unjust death on a cross and bleed out and rise from the dead to make us religious. That wasn't the goal. That's not what Jesus was going for. Toxic religion was never Jesus' goal. Well, what do you mean, Scott? Toxic religion. What are you talking about? Let's make sure that we're working out of the same dictionary. So what, what is something that's toxic? Well, toxic is anything, with the definition on the screen, anything that containing poisonous, poisonous materials that would cause sickness or even death. I remember the fir- first time that it was conscious to me that my mom sent me into the laundry room to do some laundry, and I, I pulled down uh, the big thing of soap, and uh, there I am, I'm about nine years old, and I pull it down, and this is you know, pre-cell phone, so I would just read every label that I came across. And I, I, this is how I heard it as a nine-year-old. I read the label, and it said, caution, 
how I heard it, fatal if swallowed. And I went, well, I don't want to be fat, so <laughs> I'm not going to drink that. Now, of course, it's fatal. I realized that later. Uh, but, but I'm not really kind of, I'm, I'm not trying to convey that explicit thing. I'm, I'm meaning more like the water in Hinkley, California. Do you know the story of Aaron Brockovich? It was made into a movie, uh, chronicled the biggest, largest uh, uh, class lawsuit, I think, in American history about a, 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 a company that uh, PG&E that deceived people and gave them water that was toxic. And so they're drinking this thing that's supposed to be giving them life. And it is quite literally eating away at their freedom from the inside out. The number of people who had cancer and died and all of that. It's that kind of, that's, that's toxic. So that's toxic. What, what's religion? Well, religion is, it's the things you do to get you close to God. To, to con- connect you or to bind you. So what would toxic religion be? Combine those two. It's the things you do to get you close to God that are making you sick or could kill you. Now, I don't mean physically. I mean turn you into a shell of a person who's soulless. Something, it's a practice that's taking life from you, and you think that this is what you're supposed to be doing, and you're doing all the things that you're supposed to do because you're religious. You go to church, and you read your Bible, and you give to the poor, and you, you do all the things, but you do it in a way that actually takes life from you. Because here's the problem Jesus is trying to address in Matthew chapter 23. It's the, the purity and the beauty of the message about the goodness of God is being polluted by religion, and people are sick and dying. And, and very frankly, this is still an issue for today because I think Jesus' message here in Matthew chapter 23 about religion still applies. I, I think that every generation has to wrestle with this and, and has the, the possibility of turning the message of Jesus into a toxic kind of religion, and we ignore the message of Jesus at our own peril. Now, I think there are three kind of components that make up toxic uh, religion, and let, let me give them to you, and we're going to talk about them here. Uh, toxic religion always has a tendency to, I'll call it, focus on the front, Meaning what you see, you know, like the front. Here, here's my front. I'm, I'm fronting, you know. Uh, toxic religion is usually hung up on hang-ups. In other words, it's rooted in feeling like you're one of the good people who does the right things. It, it's it's kind of rooted in a, a feeling of self-righteousness. And here's what Jesus says. It always results in hypocrisy. Uh, so Jesus says, Matthew 23, 3, he says, hey, listen, th- these are the leaders, and you'll be careful to do what they say, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. That's Jesus is the orig- or originator of that phrase. You, you know, hey, dude, practice what you preach. Th- they say the right things, Jesus says, but they are not an example of the right things. And then he goes on, he says, because this, this is what they do. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads. They put them on people's backs and they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Now, when I think of heavy loads, I think of this picture that has gone around the internet of this guy who tried to go to Home Depot without a truck and loaded up, like, oh, I can get, I, you, this is what all guys would do. Like, I got it, I got it, I put my arm on it, right? Here's what Jesus, this is what mentally comes to me. Jesus is saying, they, they're at the store, they're with you, and they say, now you need these sheets of lumber, now put them on your car, now tie it up, while they stand back and they watch you do it. And Jesus says, because here's, here's the heart of it, everything they do is done for people to see. Now listen, here's the essence of 
toxic religion is you do what you do in order to be seen. Now, there are a couple ways you can go about that. Um, I'll call the first one the explicit show. The explicit show. Uh, you're being very obvious. Jesus goes on in verse 5. We didn't read it here, but he, he, he gives this uh, description. He says, you know, they make their phylacteries wide. A phylactery was uh, their interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 6 about taking the word of God and loving the word of God so much that you'd put it on your forehead and on your hand. And, and they took that literally, not metaphorically, and they had these little boxes. You can see Orthodox Jews do this today. They wrap the scriptures on themselves to say, I, I love God's word so much, I keep it physically close to my body. And he says, they love to make those wide so you can see how big their phylactery, like look, check out how much I love God's word. It's, I love it so much. And the tassels on their garments are long and they love the place of honor and they love to be greeted with respect. And they love titles like I'm the rabbi, I'm the teacher. They are doing it, Jesus says, to be seen. That's why they do it, to be seen. Now, there are other examples of this you could go to in Scripture. One of those is uh, in the letter that Paul writes to the Christians in Galatia. It's the New Testament letter of Galatians. And uh, I, I think if you grew up in church, I think the, the, go read the gospel, the, the letter of Galatians in the message translation. I think it's the gospel for people who grew up in church. And, and the context of that letter is Paul's writing about these people that were known as the Judaizers. They were the people who said, you know, I know Jesus said you don't have to do what the Jews did, but, but we think that you do. That's how you're made right with God is you do all the right things. And so they were trying to get new people who were following Jesus to also convert to all of the Jewish practices, including circumcision, which if you don't know what that is, ask your mom at lunch because I'm not going to tell you. And so they're trying to get people to do it. Now, I understand the tension, right? Uh, gentlemen specifically, uh, understand the tension. You know, you, you want to give your life to Christ, and, uh, you know, we've got to get you baptized, but how about adding circumcision to that? Like, hey, come down front, pray a prayer, ask Jesus into your life, and we have a surgeon in this room right over here. Like, that's the tension that they were fighting against. And, and they, were, they were saying that there's a formula for salvation. Now listen, you know, if you grew up in church, you know the formula for salvation. You know what it is? I'm going to put it on the screen for you. It's Jesus plus what equals salvation. What's the answer? Nothing. That's the answer. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And here's, here's what toxic religion does. It even changes the formula and says it's not Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It's Jesus plus something is how you belong. And if you don't fill in the blank correctly, then you are out. We pastored a, a church in St. Louis, Missouri. It was in Florissant, Missouri, which is right next to Ferguson, pre all the things that happened in Ferguson. And in, in Florissant, Missouri is the headquarters of a, of a uh, charismatic Pentecostal denomination called the Oneness Pentecostals. And one of their larger churches is there. And just down the street, in fact, at the entrance of our neighborhood was their main school and, and seminary. And so we would routinely have students walk past our house, you know, um, just going for a walk. And, and on Sundays, we would see those folks because one of their larger congregations was there. We'd see those folks at dinner. And they always looked the same. Uh, the gentlemen were dressed to the nines. I mean, they looked sharp. And it wasn't a, a thing of um, um, you looked a certain, it's everybody, no matter your age, just looked like fresh and clean and modern. And then all the women uh, had their hair in a bun and they were wearing no makeup and they had a very long skirt on. 
And I, I, I'm not the one to see inside of their heart because I don't know what's in their heart. But I will tell you that it sure looked a lot like if I wanted to be one of them, I would have to look like that. And if I didn't look like that, then I would not belong. And what toxic religion does is it conflates salvation with the things that we do to belong. And so we define belonging by all the externals that people see. And we, we focus on the front. That's the explicit show. Like I'm going to I'm going to show you that I got this. But then there's also what I call the implicit no, not the N-O, but the K-N-O-W, the implicit no. In other words, I want you to know that I'm one of the good ones and that I'm one of the righteous people by the things that I don't do. When I was growing up, my mom taught me this verse. It was 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. In the King James, which had the weight for many, many years, uh, that's translated, you know, avoid every appearance of evil. Uh, the, the current translations, with the exception of the King James, all translate that with the word appearance is a Greek word. It means all forms, or the types. It's avoid all, the, all kinds of evil. Avoid every kind of evil you could possibly come across. And so if you read any of the NASB, the NIV, the NRSV, you read any of those translations, they'll translate that currently. Uh, but my mom taught me, as the, she said, Scott, we got to avoid just even the appearance of looking like we're doing something wrong. And so I remember one day I wanted to drink a, a root beer, and um, I, got a, 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 I wanted to get a bottle of root beer. My mom said, son, I'm sorry, but you can't have that. Why? It was a dark brown bottle. And my mom said, well, that's the appearance of evil, son. When my mom and dad were, uh, were going to be missionaries in the 60s for our, our tribe of, of our congregation, our, our denomination, um, they sat down in front of a board and my mom and dad had gotten married in the, the late 50s and uh, they were both were wearing very, very plain and simple wedding bands, my mom included. It wasn't ostentatious at all. There's no diamond. It was just a band. And uh, one, of the, one of the people that was there running that, that committee said, uh, now you're going to need to get rid of those wedding rings because holiness people don't wear rings like that. Now, why am I saying that to you? All of those things were also done to be seen, yeah? But they were done to be seen as avoiding the right things. So that's how you get, that's the implicit, no, you get hung up on these hang-ups about feeling like you're doing the righteous thing. Now, remember our de definition of toxic religion again, it's the things that you do to get you close to God that are making you sick or could kill you. And here's the result, always, Jesus says, is hypocrisy. Now, the word hypocrite, Jesus is actually the one responsible for bringing that word forward into the moral universe because when Jesus first used that word, what everybody heard was, oh, you're an actor. It was the word referencing the theater and the actors and those masks that you see uh, still used in theater today to describe theater. And, uh, and, and, and it, it, was, it was about the show. <laughs> Jesus was saying, like, they're, they're people, they play something on a stage that they aren't in real life and you all love them for doing it and you think they're talented for doing that and you pay good money to go see it. But he said, there's a danger. So I put it into the moral universe and he said, there's a danger that you could do that exact same thing with your faith in God and you could then turn people into a, a, a way of thinking that makes them think that it's about what they show people and what they show to God. That it could just be a show. 
And to that, Jesus says, whoa! Not meaning whoa, like whoa, horse, though you could imply that. Stop, but it's, it's no, no, no. I denounce that. I condemn that path in the strongest possible terms. And he says in verse 13, when you have that mindset, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You know how when you slam the door on somebody, you don't want them in. Jesus says that's what you do when you have toxic religion. And then you travel over land and sea to make one convert. And when you make one convert, you make them twice the child of hell that you are. Let me, let me paint the picture for you. I've gone on mission trips where I've written letters to people and, you know, I'm going on this trip and would love to, for you to support me. And I send out the letters and got the stamps and made the phone calls and sent the emails and spent the time with a, a, a bake sale to raise more money and then went and got passports like got all reared up and ready to go on this mission trip and went on this mission trip and Jesus said you do all of that stuff and when you get there the message that you give them turns them into twice the child of hell that you are congratulations you've made children for hell well I mean is Jesus I mean in hell are people having a great time is it a is it a dance party that I don't know about? Did I not get the invite? What's, what's happening? No, it's full of misery. And Jesus is saying, listen, if that's your picture of what you think I came to spread, then you're making people miserable just like you are miserable and you're passing on your disease. Stop! Because when someone realizes they're in that kind of hellish environment right now, they want out. I'm not, it's not a doctrinal point on hell here. It's about the fact that you're selling people something that's burning them alive. And what is the result of hypocrisy? The result of hypocrisy is that there are a whole swath of people who reject God. Now, they're not actually rejecting God. They're rejecting this external toxic religion, but they haven't been able to tell the difference. The University of Stanford... Stanford University did a study, and they uh, brought these children in. It was a children's hospital, and they were trying to prove a point. And they, uh, they brought in these kids, and they brought in McNuggets. Now, when my wife and I were idealistic and had no children, we said to ourselves, in fact, when we were, she was pregnant with our oldest, you know, we're not, we're not going to give our children brown food. We're not ever going to do that. We're going to be much better. And then you get into parenting, and you're like, here, have some brown food. You, you know, <laughs> So it was, the, it was that, you know, like, so they, they sat these McNuggets in front of kids and they had them in the package that said, you know, had the golden arches and McNuggets. And the kids tasted them and of course loved them. And, and then they took from the same batch, the same McNuggets, and they put them in a plain container and they said, hey kids, which one tastes better? To a person, the kids all said, the one in the package with the yellow arches on it. And what they're pointing out is that the packaging short-circuited their ability to taste, and it short-circuited their reason. Now, that's a crass way to say this, but here's what, here's what I'm trying to convey, and I think Jesus is saying to us, is the brand of God gets tainted by toxic religion so that people feel like they need to reject it. And if Christianity becomes about externals, then people say, well, I don't want anything to do with that. And so they reject those rules, and so they reject Christianity. It doesn't make any sense to them. I, uh, at one point in my journey, I got so frustrated by this that I almost stopped being a follower of Jesus. I was so close. I was, I was ready to be done with this. I, I remember a time I was, in this, I was in the seventh grade and I was being tested for a, you know, a, this special 
gifting thing. And, and uh, I remember I was, uh, wa- I was sitting at the counselor's desk and he was doing this test with me. And, and a, par- a portion of the test was he would show me pictures of things and he would ask me, you know, what's missing, I guess, to see your spatial reasoning and all that. And he would show like, you know, a picture of a cow with three legs. Oh, a leg's missing. And I remember vividly he held up one and it was a, a, a playing card. Now, this is what went through my brain. I remember it vividly. I'm looking at it, and I just went like, what? Burr, 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 burr. I, huh? And I vividly remember him going, what's missing from the card? Well, my brain shut down because I was told that playing cards were evil. And so I was like, oh, I shouldn't even be looking at this right now. And then I remember one day we, we were at my, my aunt's house and my aunt was part of our, our church and, and um, part of our denomination in another city and her husband wasn't a follower of Jesus but you know I never thought I would find what I found in the fridge and she sent me to the fridge to get something to drink and I opened the fridge and, and I had to reach back I guess for a bottle of water or some, whatever it was and as I reached back I, I must have knocked something in the back because I found all the way in the back under on the very last shelf on the bottom um, those brown bottles my mom warned me about. I was like, oh, that's beer. <sighs> Fast forward, and I, 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 started to, I started to ask myself the question, is, is, is this what this is about? Is I just keep all the right rules and I avoid all the right things and then somehow I'm in and that's how this all works? That's it? I was ready to leave. Now I could give you a very, very long list of names of people I grew up with, went to school with, who grew up in the same environment that I did, who today want nothing to do, nothing to do with the church. Because of this exact issue. Because here's here's what toxic religion does. Toxic religion focuses on what you're showing people and trying to convince them is inside of you. No, no, really, I'm, I'm, one of the, I'm one of the good people. And the result in you is always this performance anxiety, like you're never quite doing it right, and it results in hypocrisy because you'll cover over things. While Jesus' message is the exact opposite, it's about what God shows us and does in us. So toxic religion starts with me and tries to get to God, and the gospel starts with God, and it's about how God got all the way to us. See, do you see the difference? And Jesus is trying to say, if you go down the toxic religion path, it'll always result in hypocrisy. If you go down my path, it results in something entirely different. We're going to talk next week about how you heal hypocrisy. But Jesus gives us a few things to, to think about, and I'm going to try and do this in the first service. I spilled this everywhere. But he gives this example of what, what we need to do. And in, in verse 25, he says, What are you teachers of the law and Pharisees? You hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. First clean the inside of the cup, and then the outside also will be clean. I, in the mornings, I have a cup like this. It's not exactly my cup, but... I go and I get coffee and I put in some cinnamon and I put in a little bit of turmeric and I put a drop or two of vanilla and I put a little splash of heavy cream and then I put that delicious bean juice straight from the Lord in the cup. 
And if I, if I take and I drink, and I have a little office, that I, a 50-square-foot office I put together for myself in my house, and, and if, I, if I leave the cup there, when that dries, it's this stuff on the inside that's hard to get off. It's kind of crusty. And, and here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, if, if you wanted to get rid of that, and, and all you did was you said, oh, you know what, i got to clean that real good, and i got to, oh, yeah, there we go, it's clean. What toxic religion does is encourages you to just do that, just stay on the surface. But what Jesus says is, listen, if you, if you know, you know how it works, right? If you're doing the dishes and you've got crud on the inside, if you spend your time cleaning out what's on the inside and you let God on the inside and let him clean out what's there, you know what happens in the process of being cleaned out on the inside? The outside gets cleaned without you even trying. So I want to give you three things that I, if you can receive the gospel, the good news from Jesus, that it means for you. And we're going to talk next week about the healing of hypocrisy, and um, I, I hope you'll be a part of that next week. But what does this mean? The first gift that the gospel gives to us is that we find out that we're free to be honest. So what that means is that you can admit that you are a mess, there's power, if, if you've ever been a part of a 12-step group, there's power in those 12-step groups because you walk in and you announce, you announce the struggle. Get it out of the way. You walk in and you say, Hi, I'm Scott, and I'm a mess. And everybody, instead of everybody saying, Oh, boy, I hope you get it together. I hope you're going to be like us. Everybody says, Hi, Welcome. And very frankly, this is, that, that environment in AA, and I've had many friends go through that and walk some people through that and the addiction in their life, that, that environment that gets created is often more powerful than most churches because often in the church, especially when it's operating with a toxic kind of religion, you're taught to hide. Don't tell anybody you're struggling. I mean, you're holy, so you don't struggle. And, and the brother of, of, G, of Jesus, James, he says, listen, that when we confess our sins to each other and we, we pray for each other, that's where the healing is. That's where you find it, when you can confess your mess. And I, I've got to be really honest with you. I listened to that point from Jesus about that implicit no. You know, I want to be seen as the person who avoids the right things and has it together. Like, I, that's, my, that's me. That's where I'm at. Wow. Well, I want people to understand that I get it. I see it. But the power of the gospel of Jesus is incredibly realistic and says that everyone is a mess. And since everyone is a mess and needs to confess, then we are equal. And I no longer have to try to impress you. So you're free to be honest. Second gift that the gospel gives is it gives you the power to actually change because when it's all about the externals, what you want to do is you want to run away from that because at some point you're like, I just got this stuff and I don't know how to change. And the gospel actually gives you the resources to actually deal with what's on the inside. And so you can confess your secrets. I, here's how somebody says it. You're as sick as your secrets, but what gets revealed gets healed. And the gospel says, it's, you know what? You can confess it and you can find the healing grace of God that can drive out that junk. And then the last thing is that you can finally recognize that your real need for God. You can stand 
in front of God as a needy person. Okay. Let me read you this. I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I made a decision to turn my will and life over to the care of God. I made a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. I admitted to God, myself, and another human being the exact nature of my wrongs. I was entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of character. I humbly asked God to remove my shortcomings. And you're, you're saying, what, is that in the Bible? No, that's the 12 steps of AA. And that kind of vulnerability, listen, we all want, you know why it's quiet? It was this way in the first service too, and everyone's a lot older than you. <laughs> you know why it's quiet? Because everybody wants it. And it's the gospel of Jesus that makes it possible. So I want to pray for you. I want to invite you to stand with me. Next week we're going to talk about healing from hypocrisy. And I hope you'll join us next week. I hope you're in a group where you can talk about these things. It's one of the reasons we hope that you're in a group of some sort. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, we receive your message that it is not about a show. It is not about how we look. It is not about what people think about us. It is not about whether or not we are in right standing with religious people. It is about you and how you have come to us and you demonstrate to us the way and you come to us and you fill us and you, you drive out the darkness with your light and with your goodness. And so we want that. We want any form of toxic religion driven out by the goodness of your grace. So now we receive it again, Lord, that you came for hypocrites like us, that you came for hypocrites like me, it's not the unpardonable sin. You came for people who don't understand and you don't require understanding to come to us. So we receive again your beautiful grace. So help us, Lord, to receive this in our heart because you reign above it all. And all of God's people who wanted everything Jesus had said. <laughs>